Ah, oh, so good to be with all of you. And oh my goodness, it's going to turn off on me. It can't turn off on me. That's against the rules, right? Um, well, and I will. I'll explain. Uh, a lot of people know us as My Choice Life Services, and they wonder, who are we? Yes, we're both. And I'll explain that in just a little bit. Um, a lot of people ask uh, first about my name. Here's a really easy way to remember my name. I'm Glendy. Uh, it's kind of like Glenda the Good Witch in Oz, but better, right? Because it's Glendy, and I don't have magic power. I got Jesus power. So there, that's how you can remember it. So I lead an organization uh, that breathes hope into really seemingly hopeless situations, and it helps people uncover that hope. And you know that organization as Life Services. I wasn't always there. For a long time, I was at Life Center North Church, um, been there as a pastor for many years, and uh, that's where I know your own Cooper Jensen. Cooper and I were on staff together. And while we love Mark and Kate, um, our, we have a really soft spot, our whole family does, for the Jensen family and especially Cooper. If you want a really interesting conversation, just ask Cooper about the lettuce in Africa. I'm just going to leave it like that. Ask him about that sometime later when you have a moment with him, and, uh, and he'll have a whole story for you. But uh, just excited to be here. Um, got a couple other people here with me. Um, Olivia Wall is our outreach coordinator, and she'll be out in the lobby after service. She'll be able to answer questions, uh, kind of navigate some stuff with you, and then um, got my hubby here. It's amazing to have him. He's kind of my rock, and then my oldest son, Reed, and his girlfriend, Izzy, and so really fun uh, for us to be here. So I, uh, like I said, I was at Life Center North for a long time, um, but about four years ago, it'll be four years on May 11th, I jumped headlong into this really crazy role of executive director of life services. And in that role, I had to learn a whole new language. Uh, kind of reminded me of the years when I was learning the language of basketball. Both Reed and his younger brother, Adam, are six foot three. So I had two basketball players that I got to raise, and I didn't play basketball much myself. Uh, so I had to learn the language. I still remember the day that Reed came home, and he was so excited. He came running in the door, and he was like, Mom, I threw down for the first time. And I'm like, you threw down. You threw. Was that like you threw up? Did you make it to the bathroom in time? Like, ah. And he's like, seriously? I dunked. Get excited, Mom. I didn't know what throw down means. I had to learn a whole new language. And when I stepped into the role at Life Services, I had to learn an even more difficult language. How do you talk about things like life, choice, and abortion? in ways that don't drive people away, ways that are civil, respectful, and accurate, because these are tough topics, right? I know in your own lives, those of you at home online, you've probably navigated some really messy conversations or avoided them altogether, because the topics of life, choice, and abortion can either be intensely political or intensely personal, right? And so sometimes we just avoid them. What I want to do this morning, though, is help you, give you some tools um, to navigate those conversations. Yes, I'm going to share my story with you a little bit and hopefully inspire you to take a step forward in this topic because it's not just those who've experienced abortion, abortion who are affected. It is all of us, and we all have a part to play. But it is quite a ride. So I'm going to test your navigating skills before we even get started. And this takes some participation. So even those of you at home online, uh, you've got you to gotta participate here. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is not a prank. I'm just going to ask you to hold your hands out. Don't whack the person next to you, but hold your hands out and close your eyes. Woo! Can you do that? Close your eyes. So here's what I want you to do. With your eyes closed, just take the tip of your right index finger and touch it to the tip of your nose. All right. 
Ooh, we can follow directions. All right, back out. Keep your eyes closed. Tip of your left index finger and touch it to your right eyelid. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? No. All right, almost done. Eyes closed. Tip of your right index finger to your left eyelid. A little faster. Some of you need to remember left from right. Tip of your left index finger to your nose. All right, back out straight. Both fingers, bring them to your lips. Two fingers to your lips. Give yourself a big sloppy wet kiss. Open your eyes. All right, I declare you all sober and ready for church this morning. Now, seriously, there is a point to this. Those four features that you just touched on your own body, your eyelids, your tip of your nose, your lips, and even your fingertips, they were all present in you, each of you, when you were a nine-week embryo in your mama's womb. You were about the size of a peanut. You were just graduating from embryo to fetus status. You could feel pain, you could respond to stimuli, and you actually had a heartbeat. And one of the privileges that we get to do at Life Services is we get to show people in real time that peanut-sized embryo inside, inside of them, and we, we get to watch their fear dissolve, and uh, it's replaced by wonder. So our team at Life Services literally gets to do what the psalmist described in ancient times. It's Psalm 139.13, and you will have heard this before, right? For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the truth that our nurses get to witness daily on the ultrasound screen in our My Choice clinic. So um, My Choice, a lot of people ask about that. We actually have five arms to our ministry now. And we lead with My Choice Clinic. You won't see a billboard or an advertisement that doesn't lead with My Choice. And, that's the, re and the reason is because it's not about the church. My Choice is ministering to our clients. Our clients are typically anywhere between 12 and 30 years old. And yes, I said 12. The youngest who's ever lived in our maternity home was 12 years old when she became pregnant. Um, sad reality, I know. But God does big things there. So My Choice Clinic is what we lead with. And we did choose that name on purpose. The number one thing that we hear from gals when we're sitting across from them facing an unplanned pregnancy are they say, I don't have a choice. I have to have an abortion. And what we want to give back to them is say, yes, you absolutely do. This is your choice. They can claim that. This is my choice. No circumstance, no person can coerce me or manipulate me otherwise. So we've named our clinic My Choice. We do not refer for or provide for abortions. We do use the word choice in our name on purpose, and we navigate that tension. And we are upfront um, with our clinic and what we do. So in our clinic, uh, gals who are facing an unplanned pregnancy, gals and guys together, uh, we navigate that with them uh, through all of our medical services. So pregnancy tests, ultrasound, uh, we do STD testing and treatment. We treat both guys and gals there. And, uh, and what we really want to do is bring a guy and a gal facing an unplanned pregnancy together in their decision. For those who have uh, lost their housing uh, because of their pregnancy, our first three maternity home residents this last summer lost their housing due, due to COVID um, and a quarantine situation. We have a maternity home, and I just returned from Ohio yesterday. <laughs> Anybody been to Ohio? 
I'd never been to Ohio, but that was where our national conference was. And I realized that what we have here in Spokane is really unusual. We're, one, we're the only center I met. I met with about 1,500 other pregnancy center um, uh, leaders from all over, 78 countries and about 5,000 in America. So there are um, a whole bunch of resources just like ours all across the world, but not many of them have a clinic and a maternity home sandwiched together, and we do. So we have this beautiful old maternity home. We have an amazing family, the Mortons, who are our house parents. They live there full time, and their job is just to help a gal reset, kind of come under accountability and responsibility as she faces parenthood. That's our short-term housing program. We have a long-term housing program um, where we recruit host homes, people just like you, who have room in their heart, room in their home to take in a gal and her baby once they've graduated out of our maternity home. They stay in our parenting classes and all of our life skills classes as well. Uh, and for those um, who have been in the clinic and have had a positive pregnancy test or live in our maternity home, we have a mentoring program called MySpa. We recruit um, people just like you who know how to do hair, nails, massages. We bring our gals back once a month for a spa night. They meet with a mentor, they get a devotion dinner, and, uh, and they also get to be pampered. Most of our girls have never been pampered before, and so we just get to love on them, bring the practical love of Jesus. And then one of the big things that we're really excited about is just in January, we launched our Strong Fathers program. So we do the same thing with guys. The guys are kind of the forgotten equation. Remember, when an unplanned pregnancy, there's three people, right? There's baby, there's mama. There's also a guy involved, and oftentimes he's just as scared as she is. So we raise up, uh, we have a core of mentors that we recruit from our partner churches uh, to come alongside these guys and say, yep, you're going to be a dad. Yep, this wasn't in your plan. Yep, you're probably hating life right now. And yes, I'm going to stand by you. I'm going to stand by you all the way through, and we're going to do this together. And so we're really excited. Our Strong Fathers program is getting going, and we actually just purchased a house during COVID, no less, that sits right behind our building, and that's our fatherhood headquarters. So they get their own man cave space. And uh, once, a week, or once a month, they come together as well. One of the things I want to uh, make sure and mention with our, with our clinic and our programs is we started something this last year. We are part of a network called APR, Abortion Pill Reversal. And what this means is chemical abortions, there's either a chemical abortion or a surgical abortion, and chemical abortions account for now 50% of all abortions. Chemical abortions, some people have heard about it as the, as the abortion pill, meaning that a woman uh, can take a set of pills, they take one at the abortion clinic, and then they take the second set 48 hours later when they get home. And what we can do, a lot of times we find in that 48-hour period that they begin to regret their decision. And we have been able to reverse that. We had a young gal come to us in January. It was exactly her situation. She's a college student here in town. And, uh, and she came to us and she said, I, is there any way, like, what do I do now? Like, is there any way to stop this? And uh, we were able to get her in, um, do an ultrasound, find out it was a viable pregnancy, get her on progesterone, just high levels of progesterone. She is now six months along and still carrying her baby. We were able to help her process how do you tell your parents and, uh, and really advocate for her. So APR is one of the things that we're really excited about doing. And then finally, those um, 
for those who've experienced abortion uh, or sexual trauma. We have healing groups, small groups that meet. Some, um, a lot of them meet virtually. They are now meeting in person again, where they provide healing opportunities for those who are still experiencing the pain of abortion or sexual trauma. So those are partner organizations of ours called Abanon, Abortion Anonymous, and Savanon, Sexual Abuse Victim Anonymous. So we enter into some really tough conversations, and we do it readily on purpose. Because one of the things that we realize is that um, there are very few people entering into these conversations, right? You don't take somebody to lunch and say, hey, let's go to lunch and talk about my abortion. doesn't happen. It's like a conversation stopper. We enter in readily and we do it on purpose. And one of the reasons is because in the middle of the silence, especially the silence in our church, the enemy screams loudly. And he's screaming loudly at our young people who are facing life altering decisions every single day. And so one of the things I want to impart to all of you here and all of you at home is you have a part to play in this. You have conversations that you get to hold, and while they might scare you and bring up a whole ball of fear in your belly, I want to help you navigate that this morning. They're tough topics. I truly believe that as we examine our own beliefs about life, choice, and abortion, that we actually can develop courage to dive into the topics. So, Let's start. Where do you start? I want to start right up front. We're in church, right? So right up front in the very beginning. Here's what Genesis says. Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Here's what it says. It says that you and I were created in his image, which is pretty incredible because look around. No, I'm serious. Look around. Look at the person next to you. You don't see somebody who looks exactly like you. I don't see any identical twins in here, right? You see people who look different from you. And yet we all have one thing in common. We were created in his image. It's our shared humanity that can unite us if we will let it. But oftentimes we see the opposite, don't we? We see it divide us and our opinions get in the way. You want to know where our opinions come from? The number one statistic, or excuse me, the number one factor that usually creates a person's opinion is what kind of experience they've had with a particular topic. So, those who've had an experience with abortion, sexual trauma, something like that, are probably going to shy away from this topic. Stats actually tell us that four in ten women in this room or at home have had an experience with abortion. Well, we all know that it takes two to tango, right? She wasn't alone. So if we add in the gentleman who either paid for it, drove her to the clinic, or was pushing for the abortion, or not even knowing about it, it's es or you can estimate that over half of us here have had an uh, uh, experience with abortion. And I said us. Me too. Me too. I was five years old when my aunt's family moved into our home uh, in Great Falls, Montana, and I was so excited because she had three kiddos. They were all my age, and I loved my cousins, played every day with them, and uh, just adored having them there until the day that I wandered downstairs to find my cousins, and my uncle got a hold of me, and he took me in the playroom and sexually assaulted me, and life changed like that. He continued those assaults until I was a teenager, and he bought my silence by telling me that he would hurt my little sister if I told anybody, so I stayed silent. And I became a really, really good chameleon. I could be anybody that you wanted me to be. I drank pretty heavily to deal with the shame of what I, uh, I thought was expected of me. 
um, with the guys that I hung around. It was, it was a, hard, a hard time in life. Um, I was desperate to be popular, desperate to have people like me, but I had so much self-hatred that I really wasn't a lot of fun to be around, so I just partied harder. About uh, a month and a half after high school graduation, my worst fear became, or came true, and I found that I was classic stat. I was 17 and pregnant, and life changed from there. I felt like my back was up against a wall and like I had no choice. I remember the very first words out of my mouth were, I can't have a baby. So every plan from then on was to not have a baby. And so four days before I came out here to attend Eastern Washington University, I terminated the life of my first child through abortion. And life changed. There are thousands of us who have done the same. Thousands of us who have entered into that self preservation mode with our unplanned pregnancies. Here's a few stats for you. As of 2019, 17,071 abortions occurred in our state. 37% of those were in gals 18 to 24 years old, just starting out in life, right? Nationally, there were about 879,000 abortions that took place in 2017. 22% of those were in Hispanic women and 37 37% were in African-American women. You cannot tell me that this is not racially driven. It is very racially driven. Worldwide, there's a debate. Uh, Guttmacher Institute uh, says that about 73 million abortions have taken place worldwide. I read 63 million. It's usually anywhere in there. We're talking millions. <laughs> is 63 million or 73 million? Which one's worse? Excuse me, one is worse. Most of those have taken place in Asian and Latin countries. Sex-selective abortion is very popular in Asia and India. In other words, um, the man is supposed to carry on the family name um, in India. And so if a woman has a baby uh, who is a little girl, they call it sex-selective abortion. It's becoming more and more popular in America. It's, it's a hidden secret. Most people don't understand uh, that... Uh, a lot of Americans will choose sex-selective abortion. If I have my baby boy and my baby girl, um, but I really, or my baby boy and I want my baby girl, but gosh, I find out that this is a baby boy, well, let's just abort him and try again. Sex-selective abortion, becoming very, very popular. Here's uh, one of the most heartbreaking stats for me as a pastor is that four in 10 women who experience abortion are churchgoers. They come to church at least once a month or more. And only 7% ever tell anyone in this church. Sorry, not in this church, in the church. We have to become a safe place. As a pastor, that breaks my heart because I want to be a safe place for people who've been wounded in this area. And so that has actually become one of the pieces that I'm more passionate about. We keep it buried, those of us who've had an abortion. And my passion is to help people unlock that, bring that out, but then also help us come alongside those who've experienced abortion. Here's what Ephesians says. It says, but when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. There is so much hope in that verse, right? So let me bring some hope to my story. I paused it when I was 17 years old, just after the abortion of my first child. Let me pick it up again 16 years later. By now I'm 33 years old. I'm married to this handsome man right here. And uh, this guy was not 6'3", he was 
yeah, toddler size. He was about two and a half years old. And, uh, and we had a, a happy little home up here in Washington. And we decided that we were going to adopt our second child, Adam. And it was amazing. But throughout our marriage, I had struggled with anger issues, pretty big anger issues. I had intimacy issues. I had anger issues. I had issues who had issues of their own. I had a lot of issues. Shortly after Adam's adoption, though, my issues tipped over the top, and I actually became a danger to the kids. I still remember the day that John sat me down, my husband, John, sat me down on the bed, and he spoke these words to me. He said, I'm not going to lose the kids because of you. It's time to get your anger under control. And I don't know about any of you, if you've ever had a pivotal moment, right, where you knew that if you went this way, it meant destruction. For me, that meant loss of my kids, loss of my husband, my marriage. But if you went this way, it meant freedom. But there was a wall of fear standing in the way. It was that pivotal moment for me, and thankfully, I chose the freedom. And I chose to walk into the fear. I began meeting with our pastor's wife, Diana. And, uh, and the first day we met, she prayed for me and, uh, and asked the Lord, what's the root of Glendie's anger? Where is all this coming from? And immediately I knew that it was the abortion that I'd had 16 years earlier as a 17-year-old. Because my son's birth mom had made the choice to give him life, carried him all the way through. I had made the opposite choice to end the life of my child. And now my new son's birth mom was placing him in my arms to be his adoptive mama. <laughs> it's like this unworthiness just hung over me. There was no way I felt like I could receive that gift. And so it came out in anger. Thankfully, I was absolutely determined to find freedom. So I began um, some Bible study. I continued to meet with Diana, and she processed with me. And, uh, and we would process about different, op or different topics that kind of related to abortion, and then every now and then she would hit on the abortion. And, uh, and she would ask about the baby. I had this disconnect, though. Every time I tried to think of my abortion and a baby, it was literally like I saw a blank white wall. I couldn't, couldn't get past that. So I remember the day that Diana um, said, well, let's go back through that day of the actual procedure. And I'm like, you're crazy. No, first day of my life. She went there. She's good. And uh, she helped me process all of the details. They just kind of came tumbling out. And I remember um, getting to the end of the story, and I, and I said, the procedure was over, and I started screaming. I killed my baby. I killed my baby. And I, I said, but Diana, it wasn't a baby. It was just 2.2 ounces of tissue because that's what the nurse had told me. That was the lie that I believed for so many years. And it was in that moment, in voicing that lie, that I had the first vision I'd ever had in my life. I literally had an image form in my mind of a white wall lifting, and behind it I saw Jesus. And he was holding a little baby, and I heard him speak to me, and he said, Glenn, it wasn't just tissue. He was a little baby. He was a little boy. He's your son, and you will be with him in heaven someday. I have a son in heaven. I named him Timothy. Reed has a little brother in heaven, and his name is Timothy. That was a pivotal moment for me when God turned the tragedy of my son's abortion into a testimony of his goodness. I can stand up here and without a doubt tell you that Jesus absolutely is who he says he is, who the Bible says he is. There is no unforgiveness in heaven, and I stand forgiven for that abortion. He's turned the darkness into light, my grief into joy. And he did it by lifting a wall. So some of you in here can identify with my story. 
You've had an experience with abortion, and you're just waiting to run for the bathroom. I remember that. You're waiting. When is this lady going to be quiet? <laughs> Some of you are like, I have no idea, but you know somebody who has. Some of you may be able to relate to the sexual trauma. And maybe you've built a wall. Maybe you're a, you're a gal and you've built this wall that says, all guys are bad because guys hurt me. I built that wall. Let me talk about walls for a minute. Because the walls that I saw in my vision have real scriptural significance. In the book of Ezekiel, God had been angry with the false prophets in Ezekiel's time. He was accusing them of announcing false visions to the people and, and lying to the people. So here's what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 13.10. Because they lead my people astray, saying, Peace, when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come down in torrents, and I will send hailstones hurtling down, and violent winds will burst forth. And when the wall collapses, will people not ask you, where's the whitewash that they covered with? Hard to not notice the whitewashed wall, right? The wall here being referred to is like the wall that they used to build around a city or around a home. It was usually um, covered with whitewash, like gypsum or lime. And they called it whitewash, and the whole purpose was to make it look strong, to make it look foreboding. But oftentimes those walls were flimsy. Picture cardboard covered with Sherwin-White Sherwin cloud white paint, right? Or Sherwin-Williams cloud white paint. Um, the whitewash changed the appearance of the wall to make it look sturdier than it really was. In essence, it actually covered up the truth about the wall. So how does a whitewashed wall relate to abortion? Well... Think about it. The wall that Jesus lifted for me, the white wall, uncovered the truth. The wall was the lie that I had believed, that it was just 2.2 ounces of tissue. And that wall hid the truth that my baby was a God-made image bearer in my womb. White walls. I want you to think about all the ways that you've heard our society, and maybe even we've actually spoken this. Maybe you're wrestling with this now. All the ways that we've whitewashed the truth about abortion, life, choice, and abortion. Maybe we believe things like, um, well, it's not really human yet, okay? It's not viable. It's not really, it's not a person yet. Well, let's go there. First, that actually dismisses the, the word of God that we just read right, that says that we were created in his image. Think about this. You all know this story. When Mary walked in the door to a very pregnant Elizabeth, what did Elizabeth's baby do in her womb? John the Baptist was in Elizabeth's womb, and she leapt in her womb when a very pregnant Mary walked in the door. We hear evidence all through Scripture that a baby in the womb is actually a human life. And second, that whole argument that it's not really a baby yet, that dismisses science. The embryo is not, a, is not human. That dismisses common sense. Because we all know that if a human woman and a human man get together, they cannot create a horse. Sorry, not possible, right? The science of embryology, the study of the life inside the womb, has actually proven that an embryo from the moment of conception, is a newly created, live, 
individual, unique individual, making her own proteins, guiding his own growth and development, and responding to stimuli all from the moment of conception. And that unborn human individual life has great value. The only differences between the unborn human that we once were as nine-week-olds in our mother's womb and the adult humans that we are today are four things. Easily remembered as SLED. First one is size. SLED is an acronym that stands for size first. My Timothy was nine weeks old in my womb. He was about the size of my thumb. He had eyelids, a nose, he had lips, he had fingertips forming, he had a heartbeat, and he could respond to pain. He was a lot smaller than me, but his life was no less valuable because he was smaller. Size does not make a difference in value. What about level of development? Let me ask you this. Is a 51-year-old nonprofit leader more valuable than a 17-year-old kid in finishing a senior year in high school? Try to convince my 17-year-old senior in high school that his mama's more valuable. He'll take you down. He's been lifting. (laughs) Environment. Okay, so size, level of development, environment. Think location, location, location. If you are at home in your pajamas, just drinking your coffee, eating your Fruit Loops, are you less valuable because I'm here in church on stage? That's ridiculous, right? Location does not determine value. And finally, the D is degree of dependency. When we think about dependence, we have to not just consider the unborn in the womb. We have to think Alzheimer's. We have to think kidney dialysis. We have to think somebody with with cancer. We have to think nine-week-old embryo in the womb. We have to think 24-year-old fetus in the womb. And how is a 24-week-old fetus who's a little less or who's very dependent any less valuable than a 45-week-old baby laying in his mother's arms? It doesn't make sense. Sled, easily remembered. What, uh, what we want to get across here, what I want to get across, is that there is no essential difference between the human embryo that you once were and the human that you are today that justifies killing you in the womb at the earliest stages of development. If you want those sled cards, Olivia is going to have um, little cards that you can put in your wallet um, later on today. They've got scripture on the back, and they have sled for you to remember. But real quick, um, before I wrap up, what are some of the other ways that we whitewash the value of life? Well, we always hear this. What about in the cases of rape? Okay. As somebody who was raped, I can tell you it was pure trauma. As somebody who's also experienced abortion, I can tell you that that was pure trauma. And what we see in our My Choice Clinic is that gals who come in who've had a sexual trauma and then also choose abortion, it is trauma compounding trauma. And what we see is that that trauma compounding trauma often creates this posture of defeat in a woman that will continue on into the rest of the decisions of her life. But what we see is when a woman comes in in very hard circumstances, things that seem hopeless, and she chooses life for that baby, there is a resilience born in her that surprises her and everyone around her. There's like this strength that just blossoms out of her. And when we see the young man come and stand beside her and help her make that choice and stand with her, I know millennials and Gen Z love to talk about human flourishing. We see Strength leveled towards human flourishing. When that happens, sparks fly. That's our passion. 
What about the, um, the cases of people who say it should be just a woman's choice and a woman who's not ready to parent shouldn't parent? Well, let me tell you this as a parent. Parenting's not easy. Parenting is hard. <laughs> Adoption is hard. But just because something's hard doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. You've heard about my youngest son, Adam, and his adoption. Can I tell you this? Adoption hasn't been easy for him. He often makes jokes about adoption. It's kind of like his personal, his personal piece. But I will tell you that as his mom, when watching him navigate through his pieces and parts of his identity and find his identity in Jesus, and one of the hardest parts, the challenging parts, is parenting him through that. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that his birth mom should have aborted him. I love that young man. Love both my kids. And I'm so glad that she chose life for him. So whitewashed walls represent the lies, the flimsy excuses we tell ourselves um, that abortion should be the only chance for an unplanned pregnancy. So here's where we come to. We come to this point where it's the choice moment in the conversation today. And here's what choice is defined as. Choice is the, the act of selecting or making a decision when faced with two or more possibilities, such as the choice between good and evil. I kept talking earlier about the conversation that you all get to have. You don't sit in a message like this and not face a conversation. It might not be tomorrow. It might be a month down the road. But God will bring it up for you. And my question is, what will you do with the information that you've learned? Can I challenge you? to gently lean in. Let me give you some tips for starting conversations about life, choice, and abortion. First, start with questions. Questions draw people out, right? Questions show care. Statements, my opinion, often repel people. This is not a conversation where you want to repel people. You want to draw them out. Attack arguments, not people. You've heard some truth today. We're going to try to equip you with some more truth. You can attack the arguments, but not the people. Show civility, show kindness. You got to know that everyone who uh, shows anger or contempt or some sadness in these topics, they usually have an experience, right? And often they have a wall attached to their belief system. Show empathy, and then as you gain trust, ask their permission to share what you know, to share the truth that you know, to share the hope that you have for the reason that you believe that life was created from conception by an all-knowing holy God who loves us. We all have an opportunity to step behind the walls and help others around us step behind the walls. So you might be facing a conversation. You might actually be facing a next step in your own story. Because I can't doubt, 4 in 10, that the stats are wrong. It might mean that some of us in here have experienced abortion. And I'll tell you, the people who come up to me after I tell my story are not usually gals. They're usually guys in their 50s, in their 60s, who've been tortured by this choice that they paid for or that they drove her to or that they pushed for. Gentlemen, you have every right to seek healing for yourself, just like a gal would. We have those resources. And can I tell you that as I began to heal from my abortion experience, I had gifts uncovered in me that I never knew were there. I had a passion and a boldness that was uncovered that had been buried by that shame and guilt. I want to challenge you, if that is you, don't sit under that cloud of shame and guilt anymore. Take a step forward. That wall of fear is scary. But you have pastors who love you, 
You have resources through Olivia and I, and we can resource you with other people to help you arm-in-arm walk through that wall of fear, and we're willing to do that. Our young people need us to do that. So let me wrap up with this verse, John 1, 4 through 5. It says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We can, like, stand on all of the stats all day, and we can moan and go, Oh, that's awful, that's awful. But you know what? All that awful, Jesus has overcome all that awful. He's won it, right? He's won the victory. He's gentle. He's kind. And when he shines his light behind your wall, whatever your wall represents, I guarantee you there's freedom waiting for you. So let me pray for you, and then we'll dive into some, just a couple other practicalities. Father, I'm always so honored that you would allow me to share this story. I'm so honored that you would allow me to bring forward your word because I know that your word does not return void. So let it go out, Lord, the word that people have heard, the word that those online have heard, the word from people who may watch this down the road. Lord, let your word not return void, that you are the hope of the world and that you want to shine a light behind every wall that it represents a lie we believe about life, choice, or abortion. I thank you that you are gentle, that you are kind, and that you are the one who gives us the courage to take a step forward, to have that conversation with our granddaughter, to have that conversation with our neighbor, our sister, our brother, or to even seek healing for ourselves. Lord, would you guide us forward as only you can, and we will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, real quick, a few practicalities, because I know we're a little bit over. Um, we are starting, Pastor Mark asked us, uh, Olivia and I, to bring some baby bottles for you. We're starting a baby bottle campaign. You've done this before. Here's what I want you to know about our baby bottle campaigns. They are not just fundraisers for life services. We are a government, uh, we don't receive any government funding. We're a 501c3 um, nonprofit, and so all of our support comes from people just like you. Um, so we're asking that you take it home, fill it with cash change uh, over the next month. But more than that, here's my heart, and I hope you have heard this this morning. My heart is that you would use the resources inside to start your own conversations with people. Use your baby bottle sitting on your kitchen counter as an awareness raiser and a conversation starter with people. That's probably the most powerful effect you can have. You can write us a check. We are not going to turn it away. But I will tell you that we are not going to change the tide of abortion unless we all start talking to the young people around us. So there's my challenge and my encouragement. So thanks for letting me be here this morning. Well, Glindy, thank you um, for sharing your story and just being vulnerable with us this morning. I really appreciate that. And um, I know that many, many of you in the room feel that same way, and I know that you guys at home do as well. And so, you guys, I just wanted to share with you this morning 
Um, if you are feeling that nudge, if you're feeling that push, um, then I want you to know that's that's probably the Holy Spirit telling you, hey, go go talk to somebody. Um, um, allow this uh, wall that we talk about, that whitewashed wall, to start to crumble. And and so I'm sure Glendy would love to pray with some of you. If you want to come up and find her, we've got Pastor Kate in the back. We have Melinda in the back as well that would love to pray with you. We have other pastoral staff here um, that would love to connect. If you're at home, um, go to cheneyfaithcenter.org. Um, you can get our phone number and our emails there and email us, please. We would love um, to have those conversations with with all of you and to start the healing process. And if you guys remember in the beginning of this service, we talked about our God is a God who can restore and our God is a God who can cleanse. And, and I just think that's so important that those aren't words that we just say, right? Um, but those are words that we believe wholeheartedly because um, our God is a beautiful, powerful God. And so, you guys, I just want to encourage you with that. Please don't leave here or don't just log off at home off of YouTube with, without connecting with somebody. Because um, that's, that's, the, that's the enemy of these situations, stepping out in a way without connecting. And so I just want to encourage you, please, please connect this morning um, with somebody, okay? Um, with that being said... I just want to let you guys know that Jesus loves you. So do Pastor Mark and Pastor Kate and everybody else here at Cheney Faith Center. You guys have a wonderful Sunday, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Take care.